Ted Movies. This is a movie podcast by two guys who used to date. No, they don't. Uh, we're both two upright citizen brigade flunkies, as we can't <laughs> even get through <laughs> the opening of our own podcast. That's terrible. What's this your is- name, sir? <laughs> I'm Matt Fisher. I'm Ryan Whedon. And we have a lovely guest here today. Oh, man. It's part of Guest Fest 2019. Jessica Baxter is back. Yay! her from the Wild at Heart episode. As well as our quick and dirty on Mandy. Yes, that's right. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the, the one episode I that I've been stoned for. <laughs> and it shows. <laughs> I, we I, were in shock. Yeah. I, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's not really a movie that you, you just walk out of and just have all like wrapped up in a bow. You kind of <laughs> got to let it sink in or at least sleep on it yeah we were, we were processing in, in real time yeah exactly <laughs> so. i recommend uh, listening to it right after you watch the movie yeah. see how you feel <laughs> see if it helps you in any way <laughs> what have you been up to since the last time we saw you um i gave a talk at my daughter's elementary school about review writing which oh. was something i didn't expect would ever happen wow but they just happened to be learning how to write reviews like we all did in third grade and uh <laughs> And I happened to mention to her teacher that I was a movie critic, and he was like, oh, well, come in and talk. And I was like, oh. My first inclination was to say no, because it sounded terrifying. But then I was like, well, this is my chance to volunteer, and so I did it, and it wasn't that scary. He was a good moderator, and he talked me through it. But at first, when you walk into a classroom and look at, like, 26 kids staring at you, it can be one of the scariest things. But you just got up there, and you're like, you're a bunch of nobodies. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Your taste in movies are for shit. <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna do a joke about like when you were nervous, like picturing them naked and then like trying to transition into the movie that way. But uh, today's movie is 2010's Womb. A couple seasons ago, when we were looking for suggestions for opening banter, I believe you suggested we talk about movies that made us uh, uncomfortable. And that's when Matt brought in. Um, Hacking sharks with uh, axes. Yeah, I, I, <laughs> yeah. I, sh- I should have done like a little research and found out what the name of it is. But <laughs> yeah, but you talked about birth. I talked about birth, which is a, a, in a similar vein to this movie, in that it makes me very, very uncomfortable. <laughs> I'm gonna have yeah. trouble talking today. I'm really, I'm realizing just now that we're getting into it. I'm like already kind of tensing up and <laughs> feeling weird. <laughs> That is fair, definitely. <laughs> I am very susceptible to movie recommendations by people whose opinions I've come to trust. <laughs> and so, like, all you had to do was, like, say, like, womb, and, like, in 72 hours, I watched it. Oh, really? Yeah. No, I, just, I was just like, um, I'm sold. Nice. Um, I didn't care for it, really, when yeah. I first watched it. I just thought it was too slow and a little too sterile. But I think I went at it this time with a different point of view. While it was starting, I was like, you know what? I think last time I just watched it like through the lens of like a utilitarian dude, which is like, you know, how I spend my work days. (laughs) And I was like, oh, shift gears, 
try and see this like through the point of view of like a mother, like try and look at it from like someone who could like actually give birth. And it helped. It helped a lot. Yeah. I have a lot more questions <laughs> uh, as well, but I got sucked in a little bit more. Yeah. It's interesting. I had a very different response on my second viewing as well, which was years later. I watched it when it came out in 2010. And at the time I had like a one month old baby. So I could relate to the pregnancy aspect of it, the idea of like giving birth to something, you know, you already love it, whatever it's going to be unconditionally, and it might not love you back the same way. But beyond that, like their whole relationship with throughout childhood did not resonate in nearly the same way it did uh, on this viewing. And then the other thing was, I totally did not remember the first scene of the movie the first time I watched it I just didn't even think about it again how she's you know in her ramshackle beach house yeah and she's pregnant but she's like the older version of her yeah and I didn't remember that at all at the end of the movie the first time so when I watched it the second time I was like holy fucking what (laughs) so the twist didn't even hit me until 10 years later (laughs) but Full disclosure, I watched this just a couple hours ago. <laughs> and I walked the dog uh, right after that and like trying to collect my thoughts and was thinking about it. And I caught my shadow and my shoulders were up against my ears. Yeah. I was just still thinking uh, how uncomfortable the whole last part of it made me feel. In a good way. I really liked this movie. It was really thought-provoking. And I think the slowness of it kind of forces you to ponder all the elements that are at it. Play yes. and all the ramifications that are going on at any moment. And it reminded me uh, in some ways of the movie Zoo, the bestiality documentary. Yeah. yeah. It reminded me of that because it was like, it's really beautiful to look at. And it forced me to think about a subject that I normally wouldn't think about too in depth on. And I think that the slowness and the beauty of the cinematography in this movie really helped with that too. Because who wants to think about <laughs> incest cloning? <laughs> Uh, or what do they call it in this movie? Artificial incest. The way they phrase that is designed to sound like they're oversimplifying, and they totally are. I yeah. mean, it is. I mean, even literally, it's not just that, let alone biologically. Well, we should talk about the plot a little bit. So, I mean, the, the meat of it is that Rebecca, played by Eva Green, who I love to death, she, I don't want to say romance, but sort of a childhood affection for someone else who lives in this little remote beach area who grows up to be Matt Smith of Doctor Who fame, who definitely has angles that work for me. Mm -hmm. Mm. Um, (laughs) (laughs) We're introduced to them as children, so they're played by different people, but they have a strong friendship connection. Like, they're too young to, like, consummate their romance, but they definitely have sort of more than passing crush feelings for one another. They had a a summer together or something. Yeah, but I don't know. The way that she's looking at his sleeping body. She's having an awakening. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, For sure. Yeah, she's she's at that age where certain things about becoming a woman is is coming online. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like there's that scene where she's lying in bed and kind of touching herself, and then her grandpa comes in, and she covers herself up, and he's like, do you want me to read to you? And she's like, nope, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> I'm good. <laughs> they met each other at the exact right time to make a lasting impression. Right. Mm-hmm. But her mother gets a job in Tokyo, so she has to leave. Mm-hmm. But uh, she remembers him fondly, and at some point moves back to this little seaside village. Right. 
Do they say how long it had been? 12 years. Yeah. 12 years, yes. I actually get the impression that she'd been thinking about that the whole time. She oh, was yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. She so, was still smart enough about finishing college, got her degree, got a job lined up, and then she was, yeah. she's like, now I can go and find that D. <laughs> <laughs> What's the Prince lyric from a uh, uh, Pussy Control? Verse two. Pussy got drink in her pockets before she got drink in her drawers. I'm sure that's what they were thinking of <laughs> when they wrote this. <laughs> She's a smart cookie too. She got her money from making software that finds cracks in fuel canisters yep. or something. Which, a, I bet there's a huge market for that. Yeah. Uh, so she could probably just like live off of like royalties as she kept that software up to date. Yeah, and she's getting paid by oil companies, right? So yeah. I liked that. that detail because they kind of it's brought up in a little bit of banter, but then it kind of answers the question that we would otherwise have about what the fuck are these people doing for money? Right. Living in the middle of nowhere. Right. For some reason, when she said that, I just I believed it. Like, Eva Green strikes me as the type of person who could, like, be, like, a Mensa member or something. Like, sure. there's just something about, like, the confidence and, like, the sort of grace about her that, I don't know, something just tells me, like, that she's actually, like, a genius. I don't, maybe that's just me. I might be reading into it, but. She's a fantastic actress. I've been a big fan of her for, I don't know, I think it must have been Penny Dreadful where I, I like, discovered, like, the magic of her. And basically, if she's in it, like... I'm sort of like half interested in seeing the movie. Mm -hmm. I have people like that. (laughs) Um, So when you mentioned Womb initially, you're like, Eva Green, Matt Smith is hot. Like all this is just adding up to like, I'm going to watch this soon. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, He's he's an activist now. He's an activist. He's like an anarchist. Like he's putting (laughs) bugs in restaurants. (laughs) I had a a question about that. Like he's so uh, worried about like the environmental impact of uh, the filling up this marshland with concrete and stuff but he's willing to release these uh thousands of cockroaches into the environment so what he's objecting to he rattles off the speech he's like talking to her as if she already knows you know she's like she follows the news so she knows what all this is uh it's animal clones it's kind of like a Jurassic Park, but with just regular animals instead of dinosaurs, I guess. Okay, okay. Maybe okay. endangered animals or extinct animals, because later on, right. he sees some crabs and he says, I thought these were all gone. Good point, good point. Okay. Oh. So, I mean, in this future, it is t- it does take place in the future. I wondered that because when clone Matt Smith is looking on the old laptop of who he was cloned from, yeah, like that laptop looked like my laptop yeah and she's looking at a desktop at one point where i've but you know that happens in all movies that take place in the future yeah. Yeah. this movie was made nine years ago and a lot has changed uh and it's just you can't avoid it if you set your movie in the future you're gonna have some obsolete technology in there or some things you were wrong about i thought they were trying to say like this is like a relic like it was pulling out like an old photo album oh, yes yes and so like that laptop should have looked like one from it was chunkier and he was looking at like a sort of slimmer laptop later yeah the stickers on it look very well worn so it looked like a a, like uh matt smith's actual laptop right (laughs) and maybe it was uh i did like that um that sort of in the future people's little memento boxes are just a laptop Mm -hmm. right i really (laughs) i like that i mean that's kind of a little nod to the the inevitable future. One thing I didn't find plausible, though, is that 
she was keeping this laptop in a like a filing cabinet sort of thing in the house and they were in the middle of fucking nowhere and i don't know if you when you were a kid you went through all your parents shit all the time when they were gone (laughs) but i definitely would have known every drawer in that whole tiny tiny house yeah it's not locked away or anything So that's like the most implausible thing in the movie for me is that he wouldn't have found that when he was a kid and looked at it. See, I thought you were going to say <laughs> that it was still charged when he opened it after oh. years of not because that was the one that. I was like, wait he a minute, pulls does out she the just cord, pull it but out? then he throws it aside. Yeah. I was like, <laughs> does she just charge it periodically? Yes. Like, what's going Maybe on? Maybe she does though. Maybe <laughs> yeah. she does look at it from time to time. Oh, yeah, I wouldn't. I wouldn't. Yeah. It. <laughs> she likes to edge herself. A bit. <laughs> <laughs> and she seemed like she was spending a lot of time uh, on her own at that point so yeah so yeah they fall they fall in love no they kind of they already are in love from yeah. before yeah <laughs> it's a very muted love they speak in a very british way which is to never say what you mean <laughs> <laughs> yeah but always totally. say something sort of passive aggressive instead <laughs> well what is john oliver says like the greatest british love story is just two people who love each other like unendingly and never talk about it and die alone. (laughs) Yes. But spoiler alert, Matt Smith dies at some point. He's hit by a car and uh, Eva Green, Rebecca, like has almost no, like I'd be fucking screaming my head off. Yeah. And she just walks back to the truck and like gets in and sits down and like looks at the body. And I'm like, poof. It's not how I'd be in yeah. this situation. That's what I think kind of like threw me off the rhythm of the movie the first time I watched it. Because I was like, if she really loved him, why isn't she sad? I really think it's because she's British as fuck. <laughs> yeah. And this time around, I just like I still don't have a good explanation for it. Like they don't have a hot, fiery, passionate love, which is kind of I was like, you know, if you're going to go to all these lengths to like bring your deceased loved one back, I feel like there should have been like some palatable passion here. But this time around, I was like, no, you know what? The quiet, muted heart is what this movie calls for. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I think it is important to talk about her motivations in doing this, because I also think that there's a lot of guilt that she's dealing with. Oh, 100%. Because they pulled over because she had to pee. Yeah, Mm -hmm. Like when she's talking with uh, the clone child when Mm -hmm. he's asking about the accident, she like can barely spit out. I had to pee. Why did you stop? I had to pee. See, cold, yeah. heartless Matt over here. I'm just like, no one told him to get out of the car. <laughs> like, yeah, <laughs> he could have just sat there quietly while she peed. Yeah, but logically, like, or emotionally, I should say, if I was in the same situation, I'd be like, why did I not like pee at the last rest stop, or why did I ask to go right now? I know that that's mm-hmm. how you'd actually think in that situation. Yeah. I mean, it was the definition of a freak accident because there were no other cars on the road. As they're driving, you they, there's an aerial shot and there's nothing. It's just right. a desolate I love landscape. Aerial shots like that. And so the car literally comes out of nowhere. You barely even hear it. It's just uh, until it hits him. So it's just so unexpected for everybody. And that aerial shot is so ominous when you rewatch it and you know it's coming. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's no. like... Very Kubrickian all of a sudden. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, just while we're talking about that shot, like uh, the cinematography in this in general, I think is really, really good. It's beautiful. Um, I I also like the really kind of slaty gray blue uh, color palette that Mm -hmm. they have going on with like these pops of yellow. Like the snail was yellow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The stamen of the flowers at his grave was yellow. There's another, like his underwear is yellow in that oh one. My oh, God. yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, right. Like, I really like the use of color and just cinematography in general in this. Because it makes mm-hmm. you feel, a, 
lot of it is like these really wide shots and the people look really small. Mm-hmm. So it just sort of adds this like loneliness aspect or like yeah. existentialness to it. Isolated. Uh, yeah. Yeah. But I think the the blue gray color palette also like fits in with sort of the muted emotions that we're seeing too. Just because they're muted doesn't mean that they're not beautiful. Right. Like the blue gray, especially like the shots were like you know, the dry sand would be, like, blowing over in, in streams. Like, that's always just so beautiful to see. Everybody loves that, right? Yeah, everybody <laughs> loves that. Yeah, the, we- the weather there is kind of miserable most of the time, but yeah. it also is breathtaking. And then there's, like, a constant white noise because of the coast and the howling wind and all of the, the weather that happens throughout the movie that gives it a very... Uh, interesting tone yeah i don't want to say like the weather's a character but um... <laughs> you say that about so <laughs> but much it kind of was it is a little bit <laughs> yeah well i mean it reminds me of seattle it's like i'm sure yeah there are many months in the in the every year that seattleites sort of live in that existence so you really noticed when it was sunny out in this movie right it was just a couple times, and usually bad things happened when it was sunny out. Too. Mm, so, yeah, that's when the accident happened. It was so sunny it was out, more yeah. comforting Ooh. when it was uh, gray. It seemed. You brought up the snail a moment ago. I want to say this. Both times I've watched this movie, I've had my dog with me, uh-huh. and she historically freaks the fuck out when there are large bugs on television. <laughs> so both times she like woke up, got her like hackles up, and like barked at the television. <laughs> Like, same bug, same bug shot, like, got her all angry. That is fascinating. And Mm -hmm. the sound design in general in the movie is amazing. The snail sounds, those were some of my favorite sounds, were just the sound of the snail just oozing along and crunching around. And then later when she's, like, opened the matchbox and the snail shell's in there, you hear the crunching. (laughs) The sound was a character. (laughs) (laughs) It really was. (laughs) I like the soundtrack too, actually. It's like, uh, oh, the very Max Richter, right? Oh, is it? Uh, yeah, uh, who's a like a minimalist electronic composer. It was cool. The theme like starts off with like these sort of like toy bell instruments, mm-hmm. yeah. and then like it come. It's cool because it comes back. Uh, but then it's like more um, adult instruments as like I, was gonna, I think it was actually on a toy piano. Yeah, at first. Yeah, and then like it turns into like uh, strings or like a harp or something like that. I think mm-hmm. it does it on a guitar at one point too, and it's just like kind of grows as um, Tommy grows. Is that mm-hmm. his name? Yeah. Yes. Oh, before we forget, your uh, reminder to pick this movie up uh, on your phone. Oh, <laughs> uh, grab womb from Matt. <laughs> <laughs> Ah, uh, good stuff. Good yeah. stuff. It just popped up and I was like, hmm. Yeah. Picture like ripping your yeah, room out of you. <laughs> I learned an interesting factoid today, which was that in the UK DVD release, it was called Clone, mm, which mm-hmm. I think is not as good of a title. Uh, yeah, no. <laughs> I was very surprised that they fucked it up in the UK. Yeah, Womb almost like, I don't know, like when I picture the color palette and the way the movie looks, it feels the way that Womb sounds. Yeah. Like clone is too hard of a word. And Womb sounds are a thing. Like there's on a white noise machine, one of the options can be Womb sound. Right. And that's, I mean, so the sound of the the howling wind wind and everything throughout was very reminiscent of that. Clone is just so reductive and dumb. Clone, (laughs) like, makes it seem like the focus is on the science, where Womb makes it sound like it's on the naturalness Mm -hmm. of it, which is, like, the creepy part of it. And is really one of the big questions that it poses is, 
you know, are these people legit people and, you know, what what is natural and what is not natural? Yeah. Tommy dies. He's hit by a car. And uh, Rebecca opts to this sort of new sciency artificial insemination of, like, having a clone inseminated inside you. And then you give birth to this clone, which, I don't know, you know, if cloning were a thing, I think that'd be kind of close to how it would actually happen. It is a mm-hmm. thing. Yeah, like it is? Yeah, like Barbara Streisand had her dog cloned. <laughs> what? what? <laughs> so they are just doing it with yeah, animals right you now. Can, did you see, uh, what was the Errol Morris movie? Tabloid. Uh, tabloid. Yeah, she had Booger cloned. Uh, yeah. So. Wow. Yeah. Ryan only remembers that. I want to see a documentary about that. That would make an amazing documentary. Yeah, it's a thing. Like people are getting their pets. You know, when they die, they just get a new one. And <laughs> I think Barbara Streisand is even on record as being like, "I he looks like my dog, but it's not the same." Well, so, you know, he came of back course wrong. not. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like yeah. any other living creatures, you're a sum of your life experiences. Right. You know, there's you're... a nurture element. There is a nurture element, and I think it's important to say that before she goes forward with this cloning thing she asks his parents for their blessing and for his genetic <laughs> material yeah which what did he give yeah. i want to know i don't know <laughs> but they, they, his, his uh, mom says something in a one-off about robbing the grave i guess that's they would just dig him yeah. up and he just hands her like take an envelope yeah that's in, like a, it's like just a like a finger packet. or i don't know what i don't know what's in there but yeah Gattaca taught me anything i hate to think the hair, extent you know. to which she had to collect something <laughs> but uh so she asks so at first she says she just showed because she loves to like not answer questions directly that's her total mo her she's like well what her mom's like why did you why the fuck did you invite us here and she's like well let me just show you this room i painted and it's got a little childlike mural of her and tommy on bikes and their little town it's like basically like a child rendering of it like she does it in sort of child's hand and uh her mom at first thinks that she's pregnant she like looks at her belly and she kind of gets a smile on her face. And uh, then uh, Rebecca says, he could be here with us again. And her mom's like, wait, what? <laughs> what do you mean by <laughs> it's that? It's a record scratch. And then she hands her the form for the cloning. And her mom, at f- for one second, is like, who would give birth to him? Like, maybe this is a good idea. And then she immediately corrects herself and says, no, there's no fucking way I'm agreeing to this. And then she's like, right whatever her husband's name is, and he's like, yeah, (laughs) of course. So you know right away that he's going to betray that decision. But she, I don't think she probably even knows it happened for a long time. Well, see, I assumed that she had to, at some point, acquiesce because... Well, I I just assumed, I guess, that they, like, took an egg from the mom and a sperm from the dad and, like, inseminated it, and that's what he handed over to her for some reason, because I just feel like, wouldn't uh, Rebecca's DNA get all mixed up in there? Actually, they can, (laughs) like, you can donate eggs, right? And then they can have the DNA from a couple put into that egg, right? So I guess they could do that. Makes sense. Yeah. I mean, that's what a surrogate does. Right. But uh, I think this is still different even than that, because his mom does say something about digging up his body okay i think it's something other than like sperm and egg like it's probably yeah. just an actual like recreation of some okay and it just needs to gestate somehow yeah which to me it makes sense that it would grow inside a person and also it's way more symbolic that way and way more complicated seriously <laughs> you wouldn't have much of a movie if they were just like oh we can clone him in a lab here's your boyfriend back yeah <laughs> <laughs> Although, yeah, it would be an- another interesting movie to be like, well, here he is as a baby, but you didn't give birth to him. 
And then, like, yeah. she actually grows to hate him when she has to raise him herself. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, they kind of hint at that, that it's like, oh, child rearing is sort of a full-time job, that, like, it is a lot more complicated and hard than I think she was bargaining for. Or at least there's, like, certain times where, she, like, you know, when he brings that, like, huge string of plastic oh into the God, house. Oh, my God, I loved that moment. <laughs> that was such a true parenting moment where you're just trying to get some fucking work done. And you hear this noise and you turn around. <laughs> and how long it was, it was comically long. Yeah. Like, that was supposed to be a funny moment. Oh, I laughed. I laughed, yeah. <laughs> there were a couple of moments of true levity. But, uh, <laughs> and it's, like, in that scene, you can kind of see her weighing it. She's, like... How much do I actually care? Yeah. Like, will this actually be a problem? Exactly. Or... It's really. I mean, every mother makes that calculation when you hear a noise like that. You're basically my mind is like, how much cleanup is this going to involve for yeah. me? Yeah. Well, I, and if it's not that much, or if I can make the kids do it, then yeah. I'm okay with that. I'll allow, I'll allow it. <laughs> yeah. I just remember when I was a kid, like me and my mom, we lived in an apartment, and I like just, you know, I don't know what got into me. I dug up some dirt, got a hose, and like put that dirt in a bowl and water and just made a bunch of mud, brought it upstairs to our apartment and smeared our glass sliding windows <laughs> just with all this mud. And I remember thinking, because mud just washes off. <laughs> I can just take the hose and wash this no! off. <laughs> and my mom was like taking a nap or something. She comes out, she's like, what the hell is this? <laughs> and I was like, don't worry, I can just hose it off. She's like, you're gonna right now. <laughs> but I don't know. The, the, those little child rearing moments, like the of what you know, she's getting more than she bargained for right. being a mother, uh, all seem very true to me. And then there's another layer on top of it that she's like not just his mother; she's also like, I can't wait for this kid to grow up so I can fuck him. <laughs> maybe. So I, I, for however smart she was, I honestly got the feeling that she didn't think that far ahead. <laughs> yeah. She, yeah. I feel like, I mean, that was, seems like the obvious plan, but I don't think it was 100% obvious to her. I think she just wanted him back and she saw a way to do that. So I was surprised later on, uh, on my second watch, I didn't realize that they'd never actually fucked. I didn't even get this viewing until I read something about it that she had, was a virgin at the end of the movie. And then also, she got a C-section, so nothing had entered or exited her vagina until that point, until the end of the movie. So that adds a whole other... I'm not sure I 100% like that element of the movie. (laughs) There seems like a little bit of sort of Madonna complex uh, misogyny in there Mm. that I don't love, but I think it's not consciously intentional. (laughs) Right. I'm kind of with you, too. I think that, like, she... Because she even says... What more could you want? More than what? You hear? Tell me. You're alive. It's so much more complicated than that. And she's like, how, you know, she doesn't understand that, it, that it's that She doesn't feel that way. Like she, she wants yeah. to maybe absolve herself of some guilt and just like give him another chance. The, the guilt thing plays in a lot. Cause like while I was watching it, even though I was enjoying it more this time, I still had that question of like, why is she doing this? Like, is she like, you know, breeding him just to have sex with him in, you know, 16, 18 years, whatever it is. And I was like, cause that's really weird. Also like, wrong (laughs) yeah it's uh, very wrong which is why i don't like it because i feel like her motivations were not i think she had felt like she had pure motivation the guilt thing i could see clouding judgment i could see that outweighing the cons of not doing it 
I, maybe I just have no guilt. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, I didn't think about that. But that that does kind of change the scales as to why she was doing it. Well, and then also that explains sort of like the complexity of her uh, reactions once he starts to get older. Mm-hmm. Like I, maybe she didn't plan on becoming attracted to him again. But like, yeah, there's just times where she's just laying in bed in the fetal position because maybe she just can't handle this the fact that she now has emotions for this person that like she grew inside yeah her. i mean she tries to she, i mean she never makes moves on him exactly and you know yeah she, she does try to keep it platonic but she, she can't help herself you know sometimes yeah right. she puts herself in positions that sort of enable yes it. i mean there's definitely some unconscious stuff happening well and like even when they're just playing and he like that yeah. one type of scene where he like pins her down oh uh, yeah and he's, like, and he's nah. still really young yeah he still looks too. like 12 but 13. you know that kind of rings true a little bit because there are some weird dynamics with young children and when they're little tiny babies like you're just always kissing them and hugging them and right. holding them and then as they get older you know, you stop doing that as much, but you still want to, as a mom, you still want to, like, kind of smother your kid with kisses sometimes. Mm-hmm. And they don't want you to. And you have to, re- like, realize that we have to just slowly back away from these things and eventually you're going to be a grown-up. But it was really hard for her to do that. Understandably yeah. so, yeah. yeah. Especially when you consider she had, like, her awakening with him when he was, like, what, maybe 12 or something like that? I think they were supposed to be 11. Yeah, yeah. so, like, once he hits that age, it's sort of like, Ugh. Now he's looking like the boy I remember. Exactly. Yeah, like that's got to be. I mean, they, that, I think they, that's why they purposely jumped the narrative from baby to that age. And then they jumped the narrative to the age he was when he died. I can imagine her sort of getting through the other years, but then those being very significant for her and bringing up a lot of shit that she thought she'd buried forever. Sure. I will just say we talked a little bit about it earlier when we were talking about the laptops. The way time moves in this movie is really good. Like it just moves and you just know that it's the like years in the future, but via context clues like her hair is different or like, yeah, he's older or like just things like that. I like that it isn't like four years later Mm. or things like that. Right. It doesn't need it. You can you can figure that out right before they uh, go from him being a baby to being uh, the age he was when she met him. They kind of zoom in on this baby's eyes. And uh, I remember the f- even the first time I saw it, I was like, how did they find a baby with Matt Smith's exact eyes? <laughs> like, that was some amazing casting director work right there. There is a baby eyes expert credit in this movie. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I fucking believed you. Yeah, I did too. <laughs> but it's at this age, at least if I remember correctly, this is where things start getting slightly strange. Like... A, the real world starts, like, creeping in on, like, young Thomas. Uh, there's the the other copy, the one yes. that is uh, a woman gave birth to a clone of her own mother. Yeah. Which was the second most implausible thing in the movie, I think. <laughs> yeah. Because no one would ever do that. <laughs> yeah. And part of me is like, don't, I, like, this isn't the right term, but uh, I, I don't want to, like, yuck anyone's yum. Not that anyone's finding this yum. <laughs> But the other, like, I don't know, since watching John Waters, I'm like, no, I'm going to yuck everyone's yum. <laughs> I'm just not going to make, like, a moral call onto whether or not it's right or wrong. And, like, I'm not going to say that, that 
cloning your own mother and giving birth to her is wrong. It's gross, though. <laughs> like, I, I will say that. I'm not going to legislate it's against just, it. Uh-huh. But Yeah. It's like, I mean, I guess everyone has their own shit, but right, we're like, that's we're, just so hard for me to get to I, I, that I like to mindset. think that we're like, like three sure. broad-minded liberal people yeah. here, but like, <laughs> even this is like, oh. Yeah. <laughs> that's a little strange. Okay. So... <laughs> Okay. <laughs> not not that I would be like one of those mothers at the PTA meeting. Oh my god. Okay, so that's another really realistic parental thing. Mm. I've got to say just other mothers in general. Uh-huh. And I mean, I love my ladies, but uh Sometimes it can be really fucking hard, especially if you're a little socially awkward. Like, I've certainly been there. And you arrive, and everyone's already got their own dynamic, and you immediately feel judged. Mm-hmm. And you probably are being judged <laughs> sometimes. And they were definitely judgy moms. So, yeah, the real housewives of whatever, like, <laughs> northern England town this was. Yeah. <laughs> uh, those women were cunts. We don't have any problem with human replication. We think that some clones are decent people. They have their own lives and rights. The thing is, it's too complicated for our kids. Now, we hear about these things in the news all the time, and but quite frankly, we don't want our children coming up against these things firsthand. Neither do you, I suppose. I could feel like the social pressure there too. Like I thought about like, how would I react in that situation? And it's like the best I could do would be like, Oh no, I didn't invite her into my home, but I'd also be like, look visibly like I'm lying. That's exactly what she did. Yeah. Yeah. She was was like, like, took her a second to be like, are you really asking me this? And then she was like, Oh no, 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 I didn't. And then they knew, you know, everyone knew what was up. It rang to me like discrimination of like homosexuality. It just, it just, just seemed like, what will we tell to our, our kids? I know, you yeah. Know, like... It's like, we think it's fine, but we don't want our children exposed yeah, to it. I yeah. mean, this is yeah. also like the one scene where there's a person of color in it. And it's like right. driving home that like, you know, yeah. being a bigot doesn't know race. Like just because she would have experienced it in her life, mm-hmm. you know, potentially mm-hmm. doesn't mean that she's immune from uh, uh, projecting it onto others. That was super uncomfortable for me because I feel like I would have reacted more or less the way that Rebecca did. Absolutely. Uh, and, yeah. I mean, and there's a, that's a moment I I can totally relate to that feeling, not that exact situation, but like, yeah, just the idea that I said the wrong thing or I didn't say it in the right way. And mm-hmm. they now can see through me and they know exactly who I am. And I, you know, that's it. And <laughs> this bridge is burned. I don't know if it was if it was just me or and because I've been watching Big Little Lies lately. But like, yes. I got the impression that one of those women was like the teacher, the yeah, primary school. I so they're the like going through the school. Really was yeah. To to be like they like they talk to the teacher about it, and then the teacher calls on the parent. And they like mm-hmm. have to have this big meeting now, and it's like, uh, why can't we just talk one on one? Why are you bringing yeah. like the classroom into this? But the teacher was definitely in their camp of the prejudice camp. Yeah. So here's another thing that I didn't realize the first or even second time. I only realized it today when I was watching select scenes again. So when Rebecca comes back to find Tommy the first time, he has a woman in the house already. Mm -hmm. There's a lady lying in bed with no pants on and... She's from Game of Thrones. Yes, she is. I just, I just want to bring it up both because there's another person. Both of his were from Game of Thrones. I know. And they were both wildlings. He That's definitely right. has a type. Oh, my God. Good point. Okay. <laughs> yes, I know. We were like, Gilly! <laughs> yeah. So, uh, Osha, 
was his girl. <laughs> yeah. his, uh, she, but she wasn't his girlfriend. She was just a one night stand. We find out later. But she's there. And then uh, we see her two more times it, right. later in the movie, which I totally didn't fuck for some reason. I don't know if I just because I didn't have my glasses on or what. But um, she was in the clinic when Rebecca right. signs up, when she gets inseminated. Uh, and she sees her, but Rebecca doesn't see Rose. Her name is Rose in the movie. Rose sees Rebecca, but not vice versa. Right. And then later, after they have the awkward meeting at school, she's biking by the two women, oh, the, the other two moms in her. town, yeah. and yeah. Rose is like talking to them, and they all give her a weird look. Gossip. Oh. And then I think like they move. she moves after that. Like, she like well, a, because then there was his birthday. Yeah, which oh, is such a heartbreaking yeah. right. scene. That scene yeah. is so oh, fucking... I that. cried in that scene every time I watched it. Yeah. Oh, my so God. so heartbreaking. Why aren't they coming, Mum? Please. Their mothers wouldn't let them. Why not? Because they're stupid. I have to give props for this, too, because... Phone conversations in movies can be so unrealistic and Good insufferable, point. or you just have no idea what anyone was saying. They're either like saying too much or not saying enough. But the way they did this, it was so natural, but you knew exactly what the person on the other end was saying. Mm-hmm. I guess this is the first time she really starts lying to him. Uh, then she starts crying, so he stops asking questions. And oh my God, it's so uncomfortable for kids when their mom cries. I try so hard not to cry in front of my kids because <laughs> I just know that they're like, ah, oh, this is crazy. <laughs> what do I do? And then, yeah, and then they move not long after that to <laughs> this Lynchian, like, remote-as-fuck ramshackle cabin. I am glad you're here for this episode because there is, like, a mother perspective that I can't wrap my head around entirely. Yeah. Like, I can abstractly, you know, understand postpartum depression and things like that, but, like... I don't know what the chemical imbalance or difference is between having a child inside you and growing an organ to support that child <laughs> and then pushing both of those out of your body. <laughs> I can't imagine. Like, Yeah, and I didn't even really understand it either uh, at the time when I first saw it because I hadn't raised that baby yet. I'd only gotten to the point where I pushed her out. So, yeah, I mean, there were things that I could sort of fathom, but not fully understand or even like relate to there were definitely a lot of things i related to strongly on this watch that made it a whole new experience for me and made me love the movie the first time i saw it i wasn't sure i liked it i knew i was very interested in what it had to say but i felt so uneasy about it that i was like i'm not sure i can recommend this movie to people but i had an experience yeah and then the second time i was like i had an, a different experience and I loved that experience even though there was still that squidgy element I came in undecided on whether or not I liked it but like talking about it I'm realizing I do really like it yeah I mean rewatching it helped for me too just because you know obviously like I'm a dude and you know I'll never be able to like breach the ancient covenant of being a woman <laughs> uh, so like I can only sort of like try and understand but there's just certain scenes in here where I remember very actively, like the first time I watched it, I'm like, that's stupid. Why is she doing that? That doesn't make any sense. But then watching this, I'm like, uh, you know, emotionally, I kind of get it. I'm kind of here for her a little, uh, in, in a way. Like, not that I would do the same things mm-hmm. in her situation, but 
I'm sympathizing with it. And especially, Ryan, when you brought up guilt, I'm like, oh, no, that kind of drives it home for me a little bit. Oh, yeah. That's a big motivator, I think. And also, she clearly lived a very isolated life. Even when she was in Tokyo on the 72nd floor, her grandfather was not very warm with her. She probably wasn't very close with her mother. Who knows where her dad was. The only person she ever had any sort of emotional connection with was this this boy so much so that her whole life led to going back to him and then she had she was with him for a matter of days oh and it was like their reuniting was a dream like it was so easy when they were back in each other's company uh you could tell him- he was thinking about her too yeah yeah time. and yeah. his mom even says Tommy nagged us about going to tokyo but... and then he forgot about it and Luckily. I think he wanted to deliver the snail. That's what I've been telling myself. But then when the snail died, he was like, oh, never mind. That's absolutely probably what it was. And I'm sure he still thought about her, though, because he didn't. it didn't take him all that long to realize who she was. Right. Yo, yeah. All and- she had to do was say Tommy instead of Thomas. And he was like, oh, how was Tokyo? <laughs> also, he's pretty quick to just like push his one night stand aside oh yeah, like, oh, yeah. attention wise which I also liked that uh, detail of it because we wouldn't have liked him as much if it had been like his girlfriend well then he'd right. just be a dick yeah. yeah and then we wouldn't be like yeah we'd be like whatever fuck that guy but and also that's so interesting that it was this woman who worked at the clinic maybe he was he didn't even like her at all he was just get, trying to get information from her because he was protesting cloning mm-hmm. <gasps> good point Although I I do wonder about his choices, that whole like eco terrorism thing. Like yeah. if he'd been allowed to continue in that vein, he might not have been the best choice for Rebecca later in life. I do have a note <laughs> here that just says like, so she falls in love with an eco terrorist? Yes. Question mark. <laughs> <laughs> but he is super hot. And not to say that like virgins don't know anything, but like there is a certain aspect of like the rest of your life that's sort of important. It's good to like go through that before making big long-term life decisions absolutely yeah i mean i don't know why she didn't get laid in college it's <laughs> that's like the time to do it but yeah. <laughs> having serious relationships with people does change your worldview mm-hmm. you know some people will argue that it's good to have multiple long-term relationships because you kind of get positive things from all these people and you know even if it ends badly you're a better person yeah. on the other end of it and just she hasn't had that and so she's still sort of a new person in a certain respect like she's still like waiting to fully bloom into the person that she is it obviously is a tragedy but that is probably the most tragic part of it is that she never is going to grow mm-hmm. because it's sort of a cyclical thing where she's just going to have another Tommy and yeah I mean maybe he'll be a little different this time because he'll be an actual Offspring, offspring but um i'm sure she's gonna have a complicated relationship with this fucking kid yeah <laughs> yeah so i mean we haven't even actually talked about the gross stuff in this oh, yeah. movie so it's, we've been avoiding it i think <laughs> the poem that tommy recites i actually like a lot like, no that yeah, the poem's good it starts out with like rebecca like on a bike and things like that doing things that you'd see in like a tampon commercial <laughs> <laughs> She's really living her life. (laughs) (laughs) But then it does that like hard cut to both of them in a bath and he's standing up naked reciting it. And when your back begins to smart, it's like a penknife in your heart. And when your heart begins to bleed, you're dead and dead and dead indeed. My son is four and 
I mean, he wanted to bathe with me at, at certain points because it's just easier. But then I'm just like, this is fucking intolerable. <laughs> and I was he was already it was already just so cramped and we- just getting hit constantly. <laughs> I'm like, so that's another real unrealistic thing in this movie is like that you would have a nice time in a bathtub with, <laughs> with your son. Well, maybe if you had him reciting yeah. poems to you. Maybe, yeah. yeah. <laughs> maybe my, because my son isn't British, but. Well, because I know that like in Japan, like they have like bigger bathtubs, like they have family size bathtubs, but it's like a hot tub sized bath. Yeah. But yeah, they're just in like your standard like porcelain bathtub. And I'm just like, there's a lot of body contact going on. There's like no way mm-hmm. around that. Well, and we're still questioning her motives at that point. This is before she explains the guilt aspect of it. So at that point, I was still thinking like, oh, she's just farming him so she can fuck him when he grows up. <laughs> what is she thinking in this moment? Like, she's definitely got like mother tendencies, but she's also got like, oh, he's starting to look like that age when I kind of had my yeah, awakening like, with having him. Having him stand up and like, present mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah that is like, totally different than just sitting there and splashing around yeah that is a different dynamic and the shot is from behind so you just see this little boy's ass and yeah. then the mother yeah. looking at him which we've we saw uh matt Smith's yes. ass and when again, he runs into the like, ocean oh, <laughs> casting ass double <laughs> baby ass double yeah matt was Smith. there a baby ass specialist there was <laughs> right after baby eye specialist <laughs> i think we're just doing everything to avoid that one scene which one scene is it the one where tommy is like playing with rebecca and like throws like the, the net? fish net over her okay that sequence of scenes then <laughs> basically yeah because that's when the movie really with, starts to push my buttons. Uh, well, I think it starts with when she sees him in bed and he's all splayed out in those hot, tidy yellowies. <laughs> <laughs> and he's got a boner. Yeah, he does. Nice oh boner my prosthetic, God. by the way. Is Matt Smith a method actor? We need to find out because... <laughs> Did he really have a boner? Did he yeah. seduce his mom? <laughs> He, I think he might be like a little bit method, but I don't know. Mm. To the extent of it, I don't know. I'm going I'm going to uh, the next Comic-Con that he's at, and I'm going to say, Ask him Excuse me. <laughs> <laughs> in womb. In the 2010 film womb. <laughs> yeah. Look at us. We're just like immediately, well, let's talk about something yeah. other than the scene. <laughs> <laughs> I'd rather talk about things that, are, that turn me on rather than things that make my uh, genitals shrivel up <laughs> and go inside my body. <laughs> So wait, is that the fishnet scene or where she crawls into no, bed we're, with No, we're them? still on the crawls in bed uh, with the tidy yellowies. It starts with the crawling into bed. Okay. And so that is like, it starts off innocent enough because she covers him up. She sees that he has a boner and she covers him up, yeah. which is something a mother does. Like my son will run in and he has a boner and I'm like, you got to go away now. Go to your go to your kid bedroom and this is private time. We've talked about private time. I'm sure she has <laughs> never had that conversation with her son. We, we should also add that Thomas is like, Probably like seventeen ish at this point. I think he's supposed to be tw- like twenty. Oh, okay, okay. I okay. think he's supposed to be the ex- the exact age he was when he died. Because he's got like a girlfriend that's gonna like stay with them. He for definitely a while. acts immature, yeah. and I think that's an interesting and yeah. very smart choice by Matt Smith to make that character a little bit more immature. And even uh, Gilly even calls it out. Her name isn't really Gilly, but <laughs> That's fine. she's always Gilly to me. Uh, <laughs> she calls it out. She's saying like when he ha- goes on this long rant about uh, how it's so amazing that everything in the universe is 
uh, different in some way. Right. Like there's no two organisms on Earth that are the same, which is kind of an ironic speech that he's giving. Imagine great snowstorms over the oceans, in the mountains, deep in the clouds for, for millions of years on this planet. Billions of tiny snow crystals have been whirling about and no two of them are the same. Just like us, in fact. He kind of strikes me as like a homeschool kid at that point. Oh, yes. He like, is, literally. You know, he's I just think. like a little... He literally is. Because yeah. she pulled him out of school at whatever, 11. Yeah. Yeah. He's a weirdo. He's had a lot of time on his own. A lot, a lot of, time of time to read. A lot of time to go through drawers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, he is immature. But he still like knows something's up. At that point, that's when he first starts to really realize that something is up. Uh, and because he's mom having a relationship with, yeah. with Gilly, yeah, but he still has like these weird interactions with he his mom. He has weird interactions with his mom, and she isn't like she's different, she's doing her British best to, <laughs> <laughs> to act normal. And uh, she brings them both breakfast and everything. And she's like, mm-hmm. I, you know, and that was the first night he brought her home. Even she was like, here's two glasses of orange juice. She was yeah. like, I'm cool. I'm a cool mom. I'm totally not weirded out by the fact that you have a girlfriend now. So when Matt Smith stuffs his head up Rebecca's knit sweater. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's her giant knit sweater. How would you have all reacted if you were Tommy's girlfriend? Gilly? Watching this. Gilly. If you were oh, Gilly. If you were Gilly. Yeah. The same way she did. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's like, time to oh, move on. Oh, that's cute. And then the, my face slowly turning to, like, this, this is going, is going on, on too long. Too long. <laughs> and then I think she might be having an orgasm. I'm out of here. <laughs> that was the way to do that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah that- I mean, I thought that whole scene was acted perfectly, even though it was one of the most uncomfortable things I've ever seen. And I knew this was going to happen even the first time I saw it after he left. I knew she was going to sit there with that fucking net on her head. Like, in shame for a minute. Real fast, uh, while we're on the topic of shame, <laughs> uh, I really want to bring this up, and I haven't found a good point to do it, but, like, I want to talk about Boo Boo, the robotic dinosaur. Oh, my God. Oh, yeah. I know. So, like, I really feel that that is a very important part of this movie because it is a mechanical, semi-lifelike creature with very realistic eye blinks mm-hmm. that, like... Later, he gets it as a gift from his mom, and then he later like buries it in the sand, and it looks it's sad when he's yeah. doing it. Like, well, yeah, because it's like moving. Yeah, and it's making these like noises. <laughs> yeah. I think that really drives home the point of like the ethics of cloning. Do yeah. you consider clones lifelike things, or do you just consider them people? You know, because like this thing is lifelike and should be treated like a pet. But he's sitting there treating it like a, a toy and he's like burying it and like whatever. Later, after he buries it, she like cleans it off and then puts it back on his shelf. So that's obviously But I think how... it's broken. Yeah. <laughs> oh, really? It looks kind of like shriveled up and it's not moving. Yeah. I think he like killed it, quotes. So he f- has a really guilty look on his face. and But then she says it's okay when she puts it back in there. Yeah. She's like, it's okay. Everything's going to be okay. Yeah. I was thinking to like when I was a kid because like I was not like a Sid from Toy Story where like I wantonly destroyed my own toys. <laughs> but like they would get destroyed like, you know, in active duty, <laughs> you know. Yeah. So it's like anything that, like for me as a kid that got destroyed was like because I was like just playing with it. Yeah. And it got out of hand. But like. I did know a lot of kids, I'm, and I'm going to single them out, my cousins, who <laughs> wantonly 
destroyed their toys. Like yeah. part of the reason I want to bring this up is because I have a story to tell. I think I was pretty young, like five or six. I remember me and my brother, my dad had got us this big Tonka truck, but we uh, we literally took bricks and just crushed it, like mm-hmm. threw bricks at it. And I remember like the joy of destroying it until my dad came over and said, what have you done? Why would you do that mm-hmm. to this thing? And then the immediate shame of it. Yeah. And so to see that in a movie, that same thing, especially with something that's like supposed to be living yeah. and moving and realistic, like it really hit home to me that feeling of like, A, this is a gift from someone that I'm destroying. And then B, like this is how you treat something that is lifelike. Mm-hmm. Well, it's like uh, in that- Eternal Sunshine when uh he's trying to like hide in memories right and they're like let's go to shame and it's like he's got like a hammer and he's gonna like hit like a little bird bird, or something like that i don't know i think it's sort of the same way like it's not until like it's pointed out that it's shameful that like suddenly you're shocked into realizing right what you're actually doing because like yeah it, it he's burying this toy dinosaur with his friend like, he's just caught up in the moment of it. Mm-hmm. Right. And also, his mom wasn't mad, which is weird. Yeah. I think he probably expected her to be mad when he saw her put the dinosaur on the shelf. And then he was surprised and maybe even felt more shame when she was like, it's fine. Well, that's the thing is, like, I think that she wants him to discover his own shame. Like, he doesn't he doesn't feel shameful about putting his head under her shirt mm-hmm. until he realizes, oh, like it's a self-realization. Somebody like, yeah. else is like disgusted by this. I don't like this. And then later when he, well, I don't know. Does he also like come to that same conclusion once he realizes that she's his lover mom? Like, I don't know. So, okay. Here's a question so that I don't question, know I the answer to. Does he ever realize that she was his girlfriend once? Because she never tells him. He asks her while he's sort of raping her but like not exactly that he keeps asking her who are you who are you and she never says she never answers that yeah. question who are you who are you who are you he's obviously like not that smart enough to draw those maybe not smart enough but like he just can't get there emotionally to draw those conclusions because there are many opportunities before them when he should have realized what was happening. Yeah. She doesn't give him the tools. She can't even answer the question when he asks her, who am I? What the fuck is going on? She just hands him the laptop and then she's like, you're smart. You work it out. And he works it out by just looking at photographs. What would you say in that situation? I would like to think that I would just be like, well, uh, you, as you know, you're a clone. Uh, you're a clone of the my the great love of my life. Like I would, I would hope that I could get that out. But um, that's pretty good. That's actually you. That's yeah, you bad. did all right there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I, I don't have any emotion attached to the situation. So yeah. who's who knows what would happen? I if definitely I were... have some follow up questions. Yeah. <laughs> but like, yeah. okay, that's at least a start. <laughs> so while I was watching it, because and and partially it's that it's never explained to him what's going on, but he. I think he does pick up that he's a clone, yeah. which he then uses as like justification for like right because he's her. always wanted I to think fuck that's her. It. Yeah, yeah, I think that's a valid which, which, which interpretation pulls in of that. like yeah. you know the only reason that we 
don't want to have sex with their parents is that there is some sort of biological barrier yeah. there. Even though he was raised thinking that this person is his biological mother, he still had these urges. And, you know, maybe it's like, you know, if we have a type, if like that's if that's something that's like coded to our DNA, mm. you know, the person that gave birth to him, you know, Rebecca has always been his type, like since he became, you know, sexually aware and knowing that he's a clone, if he gets it in his head that he's, you know, a clone and, and not genetically related to her, that this is just justification for what he's already wanted to do. We might not all have a type, but, like, there could be, like, a genetic predisposition to, like, being attracted to a certain type of person. And if that is the case, then, like, Tommy could just have that. Like, he could be preternaturally attracted to tall, sort of... Bug-eyed. <laughs> you think she's bug-eyed? Br- yeah, she's just huge. Doe-eyed. How about that? Is that better? Okay. <laughs> Yeah, I've definitely dated people who I was like, you're not my type at all. But for whatever reason, you know, I'm attracted to you. And then later on being attracted to other people because they reminded me of them. But never before having an attraction to that type of person, if that makes sense. Totally. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like you said, like, it's just the things that happen to you over time. They code you in a way. Well, I mean, if she is a virgin in this movie, mm-hmm. she wouldn't know any better. She wouldn't know no. any of that stuff. That's true. She wouldn't have so... any of those important college life lessons that somehow i don't know what kind of college she went to but it doesn't sound like it was any fun yeah i mean those are formative years <laughs> maybe she went to oberlin or something <laughs> i might have not gotten the Vassar. most useful degree but i had a great time in college <laughs> it was very very useful for uh, social reasons anyway oh my god let's wrap this up and then we can say, just hang do out do we have any final thoughts on what did wound? we not talk about Okay. <laughs> you have pages. I have of literally typed six pages notes. of notes, and I haven't looked at them once. But uh, I, I was I just worried that there wasn't going to be enough to talk about. But I was wrong. Oh, you're kidding! <laughs> my movie. my last note is: Why did she do it? Why did she do which thing? Fucking <laughs> the the. I, I'm assuming I'm referring to the cloning. The thing. cloning itself. Well, oh. guilt would be one. It thing. was 100. Yeah. percent Okay, so I think was, we actually covered this question yeah. over the whole. Seventy percent guilt and forty percent uh, just straight up grief insanity. Because mm-hmm. being grieving, it was like really soon after he died, so. Grief makes you do crazy shit. It's that's a pretty well established. And also, fact. if you if you have the power to bring somebody back that you feel responsible for killing, wouldn't you do it? Yeah, I think and I so. also think that she wouldn't have done it if her if his dad hadn't given her the go ahead. Like, so it's partly his fault too because she wouldn't have gone on like a DNA heist. You know, she wouldn't have done anything. Like, she would have just been like, okay, I'll let it go. But because he was partly on board, I think that gave her the courage to move forward. Yeah. And his last minute, like one second thing of being like, you don't have to, though. He was like, here's this all the yeah, paperwork like, think about it. and everything to do. But, you know, don't you don't I have jacked to. the corpse off myself. <laughs> yes. Oh, my God. Did you know that there's still residual live sperm in balls months after death? Fun science, future science facts. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I, I mean, yeah. this is, I'm doing a little backtracking here, but like, I do like that scene when she finally is explaining to her parents, like, I want to do this. And the mom's like, we are atheists. We brought up Thomas as an atheist. 
But that doesn't mean we can rummage in our deceased's grave and clone them. I like how this movie, there's no, like, religious element in it, like, at all. That's They're a really like, good point. It's just, like, let's just look at this from a scientific standpoint. We can do this. Let's not mm-hmm. talk about, like, necessarily the ethics of it. But, like, there is, like, an element of, like, what is the soul of humanity. Yeah. But, like, without religious dogma. Yeah, because uh, Rebecca even says, like, well, you know, humanity has given us this option to bring him back. So, right. like... Uh, if you're saying that like fate chose to take him away, well, fate is also giving us the option to, to bring him back. Exactly. And I don't even think they are talking about fate, though. I think that's a very good point, is that it's a debate between the scientists. Mm-hmm. Like, clearly, like, this boy was raised a scientist. But I don't know what his parents did, but they were very logical, science-based thinkers, and they raised him to be such. And she also comes from a sort of science and math background. And this was not a religious debate in any way it was 100 percent like what is the right thing to do in terms of science it's a humanistic debate yeah it's a humanistic debate what should we do here and well i mean there was an emotional element to it of course right uh where she was just like i don't think i can handle it emotionally but being british she couldn't say that (laughs) (laughs) she was like uh you know what i mean (laughs) (laughs) and uh yeah so uh, the dad is definitely complicit because he gave the go-ahead in the end and she i really truly don't think she would have done it without his consent part of me wants to see a sequel to this movie <laughs> Gloom too. But a lot of a lot of me doesn't want to but a little tiny bit of me does <laughs> i am curious about what that kid's gonna be like yeah for sure because it's like now it's not her trying to make sure that this person that she feels responsible for killing comes to age this time, it's a version of her fucking that person, and now it's their child that yeah. she's that she's raising. So, like, what does she do different? Like, yeah. how does she? Uh, what has she learned from previously raising a child in like fucked up uh, circumstances? Like, how is she going to learn from that? And like, what is she going to do? Like, yeah. I am curious about that. Maybe it would be better actually. Now that you say it that way, it makes me think that it might be less of a tragedy and more of a happy ending because maybe she would correct those mistakes because there are definitely those stories out there of people being like, well, I fucked up my first child, but then I married someone else and we had a child together and this child is totally normal. I've read so many novels like that. And I mean, even in my own life, I can relate to it a little bit of like, this was the mistake and this is how we corrected the mistake and it's a new person and it's fine. (laughs) <laughs> they're gonna have the intimacy oh, yeah. talk early on <laughs> yeah. like no putting your head under, yes. under mommy's shirt after uh, we're gonna uh, have our pants six. on around each other <laughs> yeah. starting very early <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> yeah. M- maybe i'm making uh, uh connections that aren't there but okay L- let's look at it this way in cronenberg's the fly Ooh. should gina davis have given birth to to seth brundle's kid if you were to write an epilogue to that movie would you have it where she has an abortion or where she has a kid I think, I mean, okay, just because it's a pet peeve of me, for me, when, like, women don't have abortions they should have, <laughs> I would say have that abortion. Yeah. But there's also the whole idea of, like, how much you loved the father, which I know is fucked up, but it's, like, that's the whole thing about this movie for me and why it works for me is because she did love him so much. Mm-hmm, and yeah. he never hurt her in any way before he died. Mm-hmm. So she never had a chance to feel any resentment toward him. All she felt was like pure love. So I can totally see why she did it, even though I might not have made the same choice. And I obviously it didn't work out very well. But um, 
I do get why she did that. I do get mm. it. So you're pro having kid in this instance? In which instance? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, specifically womb, but I just, I felt like the fly metaphor. Be- I think it was it, a Because bad it was more move. extreme I in think, the fly. I think in womb it was a bad move, but I but I understand how she got there. Okay. In the fly, I don't get the impression that they were like as in love as that. Yeah. Okay. Also, um, <laughs> after you've like ripped the jaw off of your lover, who's like a yeah. weird mutant fly, That's, that was kill more it. Of a get rid. Cut. Like this is not working it, for me. I, I'm yeah. talking about the, yeah. the symbolics of it. Like you will give birth yeah. to something that might be some sort of unholy monster. Any level. Abort. Abort. Any level of fly in my baby is not. Okay. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> No, I only drew in that comparison because it it it, it had a more uh, illustrative thing. Like mm-hmm. she's pregnant, we don't know whether or not she chooses to keep the baby in the long run. But it's like it could be a monster, it could be fine, and I feel like that's how it sort of is with womb. Like what happens, except not a literal monster, mm-hmm. but like an emotional monster. I mean, that's a very great parenting uh metaphor that i don't get tired of uh even though it horrifies me is yeah just the idea that you can give birth to what with ever however pure your intentions you could give birth to a monster unwittingly like one of the scariest movies i've ever seen is we need to talk about kevin that's what i was gonna say i was just about to say we need to talk about kevin that movie is so I still I will never watch that movie again. Oh, okay. <laughs> it took me ages and ages to get over to even be able to look at that actor Ezra Ezra Miller. Miller. Yeah. And now I love him, but like it took such a long time for me to get there. I had to watch so many interviews with him being himself and not being that horrible character. He's like a goofball in real life. Yeah, he's a goofball. He's so cool. He's like, oh my god, I love him now. I love him. But, but yeah, in that well, movie. To bring it full oh, circle, so like when I was watching that movie, the thing I thought about most was Grace. Yeah. Oh. Because it was like you don't know what you're going, what kind of child you're going to have. But you have to love it unconditionally. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. like it, there is a certain amount of nurturing you can do to help shape it. But there is also a certain amount of nature there that you can't control. Yeah. And I think that's central to womb, too, where it's like you, she may be able to give Tommy back his life, but she can't control where that's going to go. Even though he's a literal clone of her bo- dead boyfriend. Yeah. But she never really got to know him, so she doesn't even really know if he is right. how similar he is or not similar. Right. And then the, na- the nurture element. Yeah, it's there's a lot there. I really love that. I love how there's so much to talk about with this movie. <laughs> I do want to say one more thing about their performances that blew me away. On the second and third viewing, and a little bit on the first viewing, but it just didn't hit me until later. So there's certain things you can, if you're method acting, like, okay, think about a time when you really loved someone, but you couldn't be with them. Thinking about a time when you loved someone and they died. Those are all things we can do. Think about a time when you gave birth to the dead person that you loved. (laughs) 
Okay, <laughs> I'll try to do that. Think about a time when your mom is acting super weird and you might want to fuck her, but you don't know why. <laughs> Think about a time when you discovered that you were a clone and everything you're looking at are memories that you don't have, but they include you. Go. No, and they did it. Seriously. They fucking did it. Yeah. I mean, are they the two greatest actors of all time? Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> that shit is impressive. Yeah. So, Matt... What do we have coming up for next week? Next week, we are having a returning guest. Uh, longtime listeners might remember one John Coons from Mother's Boys. That dog. He's in town all the way from New York City. I like to thank just for this podcast. <laughs> Uh, and we're going to be talking about I Heart Huckabees, hmm. uh, which I have not seen since its theatrical release. Me neither. Yeah, I'm curious to see if it holds up. Only time will tell. Are we going to wrap things up now? Yeah, let's wrap okay. it up so that we can really just party. That sounds yeah. like fun. <laughs> <laughs> Monday. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Jessica, thank you again for coming oh on. My God, you're always my great. Pleasure. Oh my God. <laughs> is, is there anything you want to plug while you're here? Check out my reviews on hammertonail.com. Also, follow her on Twitter. Like, just yeah. I really enjoy your tweets. Oh, thank you. Just it's Tubaxter, because I couldn't get the Baxter, but so that's T E H B A X T E R at uh, fucking what? At Twitter. At Twitter. At Twitter. <laughs> I understand the internet. Yeah. At twitter.com. <laughs> you can follow us on Twitter as well. It's at X Rated Movies. Follow us on Facebook at Rated X Movies. Send us emails at x.ratedmovies at gmail.com. Go to our website, xratedmovies.com. And uh, that's about it. Keep preaching for that rainbow. Bye. <laughs> Bye.